Hello and welcome to Tales from the Bay, a 49ers podcast from the Gridiron Show. And sorry, I should say that. Let me correct myself. The NFC West champion San Francisco 49ers podcast uh, from the Gridiron Show. I'm Will Gavin. Alongside me, Nicholas McGee, bringing you the very best 49ers coverage to the UK fan base. Nicholas, I mean, it's this is probably the longest recording we'll ever do from post game to a uh, to to a podcast itself are you still floating somehow tuesday wednesday off the back of thursday night football 100% will um the joy of winning the division in seattle for the second time in four seasons has not yet subsided and the comfort you can enjoy around uh, this wonderful time of year in knowing your team is in the playoffs with the title in the bag with a home game and with Everything to play for, nothing to lose, as, as still has me on cloud nine. Yeah, I, the nature of the win as well was as much as they had the comeback touchdown and there was the terrible pick six pick that was called off for the, just the awful rushing the passer call on uh, on Bosa, which we could have seen them. We could have been 28-3 up at one point and should have probably buried this game uh, long before we did. The, the slightly nature of slowing down the second half and allowing the Seahawks somewhat back into it, yeah, a little moment of worry to it, but honestly, all round, very, very pleased to go on the road and get a victory. And I have to say, to get a victory in a fashion that, whilst it was Brock Purdy's probably least impressive overall game, top to bottom, for the 49ers, if you're going to look at every single throw, to do it in the environment he did it in, to run the playbook as well as he did, to have some really good... Uh, on the fly calls as well. I thought the second touchdown, he made a decision to go to a read which wasn't the obvious read, and it ended up scoring the deep touchdown. Like I still thought that the maturity and all those brilliant things we've said about him in previous weeks were on display yet again. Yeah, you absolutely nailed it. It's, he was he had, had the amazing start to the game, went ten for ten, eleven for eleven, whatever it was. I think it was eleven for eleven. Then went really spotty for about the second quarter, start the second half. Um, had the near pick six, Quandre Diggs, which was crucially called back. I'm oh, sorry, not called back, but he dropped it. My, my apologies. And then, but there was still all the things you need to see in, on the, on the road in terms of the poise, in terms of the pocket movements improved again. He's, if you watch the tape back, he's making a lot of sort of movements in the pocket to negate kind of pressure that's coming in his direction, buying himself more time, and doing things that had gone wrong for the Niners in previous um, in previous weeks. Remember, way back in week three, the Garoppolo throwing from his own end zone and taking the intentional safety by not really knowing where the line is. In this game, you saw. Purdy throwing from his own end zone. He thought this could be a disaster, and he just delivers a poised strike on the slant out to Juwan Jennings, and he made the throws when he had to. And then this defense, which I don't want to use hyperbole, I don't want to respect disrespect uh, Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman, Justin, Justin Smith, but I think this is a, the best 49 defense I've ever seen since I've since I started following them way back in in 2005. Um, this this defense can win any game for them, and he did what he had to do, and it was still very impressive uh, from Purdy. Yeah, I, I wasn't. I wasn't many years before you on that, Nicholas. I was around two thousand and two, and I absolutely agree. We, we've had some unreal defenses during the Jim Harbaugh era. Some very, very good front sevens, in particular. Uh, I think this linebacking core is comparable to uh, Bowman Willis, and I'm very much in the Patrick Willis should be going to the Hall of Fame camp, certainly, but Navarro Bowman alongside him was was phenomenal. Justin Smith in that Justin Smith older. Justin Smith is another one who I think should be going to the Hall of Fame, and obviously I'm going to 
they'll be saying this is a 49ers fan more so than anyone else. But there was no one else who played the 3-4 defensive end role as well as he did over that 10 or 12-year stretch and really set the tone for what somebody like J.J. Watt could come into the league and do. And I think you forget what he did because J.J. Watt came in and did something so spectacular. It was one of the best defensive players we've ever seen that it kind of negates that we had one of the best to do it prior to him in the league just as he was coming in. But I'm with you. I think this defense is the best I've seen from the San Francisco 49ers in that 20-year stretch. And on Brock Purdy, I think what really stood out to me from the play calling, and okay, we had some fun. We had the, you know, the, the touchdown with the fake left, fake right, and then hitting his man down the middle. We had some some lovely plays to the, to the outside. And it's these things that really strike me with Brock Purdy. They're running a lot more boot. And I think that's very clear that they're much more comfortable with him on the move than they are with Garoppolo. And something that's always put me on, something with Garoppolo that's always made me nervous, and I think I only saw it maybe once or twice from Brock Purdy on on Thursday, his feet are just so quiet in the pocket. And he just knows where the pressure's coming from, knows when he needs to get the throw out, works his way through the reads. Garoppolo, anytime I see them bringing an extra man or anytime the pressure looks like it's going to get to him, it's like immediate panic stations. And I just don't see that from Brock Purdy. And again, I, I feel like I'm going to keep qualifying this. We could be in the Super Bowl and I'll keep qualifying this. Like, I, I know it's a small sample size and I know that, you know, He's yet to play a real top-tier defence, but I just the young man has blown me away over these last three or four weeks. Yeah, it's the the second reaction plays as you call him, whether the pressure comes, he's able to spin out of it, and then he's still very calm and he's on the move. And we certainly saw, of course, the um, the Kiefer down at the end of the game where he knows exactly where to slide and get <laughs> so he gets the, gets the first down. And like you say, with the progression, it's it's the quiet feet and the feet are in time with where his eyes are going, and that that stood out on the um, on the down to Kittle in particular. That's I think it was a fourth read uh, and he gets there and it's all perfectly in time and it's a perfectly accurate throw. And a lot of these throws are, are schemed open, um, particularly obviously the first one and the, the late um, downfield shot to Tyler Croft where he kind of leaked out and he's wide open. But often those wide open throws when you'd have a tight end or Kyle Juszczyk streaking wide open, the ones that Garoppolo would make harder for himself. He would often he would put them behind the uh, behind the receiver or miss him completely and Purdy is hitting them perfectly in stride where they need to be and that's, these are all good signs and it's a it's a small sample size, but he gets a chance now to have a bigger sample size where there's not there's not as much pressure on you. You're you're in the playoffs, and the only thing you can gain now is a second seed, realistically, um, depending on what the Jalen Hurts shoulder injury turns out to be. Um, so you've got everything to gain and nothing to lose. He's kind of got a, a free hit to get that sample size in now. So encouraging stuff again. Uh, I think the the other thing that really stood out for me in this game is obviously we were looking for the weapons that they would use would on a short week McCaffrey feature as much as he ended up doing so. I was surprised to see him get, you know, 30 touches or looks with the ball, which was kind of stunning that it was that many, but he ended up delivering yet again. It was only late in the game that really JP Mason ends up coming in and and making a bit of a difference. But also with Debo Samuel out, you know, who is going to step up into the role, who is going to be featuring in the offense. And and his injury comes at just the same time that, that George Kittle Finally, not just for the first time this season, not just for the first time since, say, week seven, but really for me, the first time in the last couple of years, looks like a fully healthy George Kittle this week. He has the two long touchdown catches, 28 and 54 yards, wide open on both of them, four catches for 93 yards. And he is, for me, when healthy and and, and on his day, 
the best tight end in the NFL, the best all-round football player yeah. when it comes to the position because he excels at blocking, at getting that to the second level and blocking, fits the system so perfectly, but also brilliant after the catch, so physical, will carry, you know, strong at the catch point as well, runs routes brilliantly. And I totally understand and that I would have gone to absolute bat before probably last season when he clearly had that lower leg injury. That George Kittle was the best tight end in the NFL over Travis Kelsey. It's very difficult to keep arguing that while Kelsey keeps putting up the ridiculous numbers that he does and the best ability, his availability and everything else. But if he can now stay healthy down this stretch, I think it's going to be a huge difference for the 49ers. That's it. And you saw kind of last postseason as well, and obviously ended up losing the game, but he showed it when he showed it when he counted against the Rams in the championship game with the touchdown. Um, he might not be as good a route runner as Kelsey. I think Kelsey probably has him a little bit in that area of the game, but he still is able to get open and get him open. And you saw what he can do after the catch, particularly on the on the second long touchdown, where he makes two two excellent cuts on two defenders to just stroll into the end zone. And when you're a big man that can move with kind of the athletic ease that he can um, in the open field, he, he can be such a weapon. And I think that that's you know don't want Debo Samuel to be injured, but that's going to be a, a kind of a, a blessing in disguise of having Debo Samuel injured that you get to develop third with, with Kittle more for over these next few weeks instead of just using him as a blocker all the time. And I think the, the necessity of having to use him as a blocker, maybe we'll forget how good he is. And hopefully over the next few weeks, we'll, we'll see more of Kittle doing what he does best in the receiving game. Hey, the man they know is Big Play Dre. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good, Will. How are you doing? Uh, very well. Thank really you so much for uh, no thank you so much for taking the time out to speak with us. The last time actually you and I spoke in person was was back in in 2019 in Seattle, and you just made uh, you just made the play of a rookie career, like the first year going and making that play at the half yard line. What was it like going back to Seattle and claiming that NFC West title again, man? And it's huge, man, uh, to be able to play against a good team like that and be able to get that win and, you know, for it to, the things that they could do just for the rest of the season and, you know, for the playoffs, man, and just momentum that we're trying to keep rolling. And uh, it was good to be able to get it done versus a good team. And now we got Washington this coming up week. We've got to do it again. How, how are you feeling a few years in now? How does it feel different getting to this point in the season? How are you feeling in your body? How are you feeling going into what is now going to be a postseason run? Yeah, it's definitely different. Uh, just remember my first couple of years, uh, especially that first year going into postseason, it was just draining. Everything about it was draining. But uh, as you just get older, you realize how to how everything works and how what you need to do to take care of your body to make sure you, you know you're good for the next game in the postseason. Uh, you just learn that as you go, and uh, it's definitely a different feeling than it was uh, rookie year, just because you know, rookie year just feels exhausted. But now you've been through it, you know it, so it just kind of. It's just part of the process now. Before we get into this season and, look, and looking forward, I've got to ask you, you made the headlines in the last couple of weeks. You, went, you, you intercept Tom Brady and then you go up to him afterwards and, and you ask him to sign your game ball. Just talk to us a bit about that experience, what it was like for you to go and meet the man afterwards and, and the kind of reaction that you got for that. Uh, it was huge. Uh, I really don't like to talk about old games. My bad, but uh, <laughs> no, no, that's good. It's it's just, it was yeah. a cool moment, man. Like, yeah, no doubt. I, I definitely talk about it, man. It was, it was crazy, man. Just uh, that whole week, man. I've been telling everybody I'm going to give me a ball, and uh, uh, I just knew how special it was to be able to get a ball uh, by one of the greatest, if not the greatest, and um, just you know everything he's done for this league, and you know as well he's done to be able to get that ball, and wasn't sure about. Afterwards, if I was going to ask him to sign it, but he uh, 
I just felt like it was the right time. <laughs> you never know when it's a good time to do it. So I was like, hey, man, you know, he might not be here next year. So, you know, the worst thing you can do is tell me no. So I was happy I got it done. I'm happy I asked him. And uh, at first he was kind of like, you know, he would just, you know, kind of, you know, telling me I'm a good player and stuff. But you could tell he wasn't in the mood to, to sign a ball. So I wasn't going to ask him. And then it just we started talking and got a little comfortable. And then I was like, hey, man, you signed these balls? And he was like, yeah. That's really cool, man. And, like, it feels like the last few weeks, just to, to expand on that for the defense in general, a lot of people talking about you being the best in the league, but adding takeaways to what you guys were already doing or coming back to that again, like taking the ball away from the opposition on top of everything else you guys have been doing on defense. Like, it feels like almost that final piece to to turn it into what should hopefully be a, a good deep playoff run. No doubt, man. That's the like, that's the that's the goal. That's the vision, man. Uh, we're just trying to get better. One week, we got the week, and uh, you know, uh, we gotta in order for we know in order for us to get to where we need to go, uh, go we need to take away the ball. We need to have the ball. So just to be able to give our offense, you know, a, ch a ch chance as well, and you know, and they're doing great as well. But you know, we know if we can give them the ball more times than not, then you know they're gonna be able to score. So uh, that's just our mindset as a defense, and. Uh, yeah, man, we're just trying to keep this thing rolling all the way to the to the Super Bowl, man. So, yeah, hopefully I'll talk to you then. <laughs> Did you enjoy it getting out there, flying around, hitting guys? Because we've seen some big hits from you this year. I think they're catching some attention. Like, it looks like you guys are having fun. Yeah, man, it's fun, man. Uh, it's always fun when you win. It always helps. But uh, just, you know, all the guys on the team, man, we've got some great guys. And, uh, you know, they, everybody brings their own type of energy. And it's always fun just... Uh, being around other guys that are just as energetic, that's going to bring the energy in. It just makes you want to just, you know, go even harder. promise you it's just two more from me. Firstly, a lot of talk, <laughs> talk, talk about the Pro Bowl this week. Are you feeling a little bit snubbed? That's the word they're using. And, and how does it feel to be playing alongside Fred Warner, who I think might never not go to a Pro Bowl until he retires? Right, no, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely great playing against or playing with him, man. He just, he's a smart guy. Uh, he knows the defense in and out, man. So whenever you you can be on a player on the field with a player like that, man, it's just it's kind of like a you know a cheat code or a extra you know step, man, because he just knows where the ball going, and we just got a great feel for each other. But uh, no, I was snub for sure. <laughs> and I want to ask about D'Amico Ryan's, just because I think coming into the year, a lot of people saw the talent on your defense and maybe didn't give D'Amico Ryan's the the praise he deserved for the way he coached you guys up. I think we watch you game to game now, the way that the game plan develops week in, week out. Just talk to us a bit about what D'Amico brings to your defense and, and the fact that he is now being linked with head coaching jobs, I think, because of the job he's doing this year. Yeah, man, he's a great coach, man. Great uh, great coordinator, man. Uh, played the game, so he understands the game. Uh, he knows how to get players to play for him, play hard for him, and... Uh, you know, he uh, and he just he understands the game, man. When you got somebody that's played the game and understands it, uh, man, it just makes it easier on you. And then, you know, just him being a previous linebacker, uh, he just gives you tips and insights that, you know, you may not have heard from your coach or, you know, just stuff that he knows as a player, you know, as, and as a coach that, you know, things that you can be aware of. And I think it just allows us as a defense, and especially our linebackers, just be able to play fast and, you know, and trust what we see. Man, fingers, toes, everything else crossed that I'll be seeing you in Arizona in, well, just a few weeks' time, but let alone a couple of months' time. Hopefully we'll see you at the Super Bowl. And good luck for the next few weeks. Stay healthy, and we look forward to seeing you hopefully there, man. Yes, sir. Appreciate it, man.
Well, it couldn't be more of a joy to be out here with a man who's starting to really show his impact on the field. We're excited about him coming into the season now, doing it for the 49ers. Rookie Jordan Mason joining us now on the show. Jordan, how are you doing, sir? I'm great. I'm great. How about you? Ah, well, I mean, I'm out here getting to chat to you guys going into a game day on Sunday or Saturday. Sorry. Keep saying Sunday. That's normal. How does it feel for you yep. guys knowing that you're playing on Christmas Eve and with everything coming up with the season as well? I mean, it's great. Uh, it'll be, it's going to be great to get a uh, dub on uh, Christmas Eve and then enjoy the next day. Hey, have you got plans great. to enjoy the next day as well? You get to let loose a little bit? Oh, yeah. yeah. I've seen it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Uh, yeah. Jordan, talk to me a bit about the opportunities you've had over the last three or four weeks, a bit of an expanded role in the team, getting a bit more of a chance to really show the world what you're made of and and what it's been like to actually get a chance to get out there and, and get the ball in your hands. Uh, no, just like I was saying, just all we needed was an opportunity, a chance, just to prove myself. And, um, that's, that's just what's happening, and I'm just blessed to be in my situation. And, and just thankful, man. Just thankful. With winning the NFC West this past weekend, there's been a lot of speculation about the fact that you might even get more opportunities. You know, three weeks left of this season, chance for some of the rookies, some of the guys on the outsides to rotate in and maybe get more snaps. Is that playing in your mind? Are you out there thinking, right? Let's let's get going. Let's let's show the world. I, I'm always thinking. I'm always thinking. I'm going to be the starter. Uh, I trained in, in the summer. That's how I trained, and that's how I'm still. That's how I'm still training my mind. I'm the starter when I come in. I'm the starter. I'm, I'm just the starter. That's how. That's how I work. What What have you seen of that Washington defense? Because they've They've got a stout defensive line. There's a lot of talent there. So are you already picking holes and seeing where you're going to be able to find those opportunities? Oh, no. Oh, no. I never pick holes. It's, it's all wherever the hole is designed. That's where I'm going to start first. And then I'm going to just go one at one hole at a time. If that closes up, feel... I, go, I go to another one. It, it does feel like that. 49ers offensive line must be a joy to run behind like they open up opportunities for you I love it when I tell you I love it I absolutely love it <laughs> well one of my favorite guys to talk to in recent years going back to the Super Bowl three years ago was Bobby Turner talk to us a little bit about his return to the team and the work he's done with you hey man Bobby Turner he, he's a, man as soon as he came in he fixed everything I was doing I'm talking about everything um you know Bobby T's been in in this uh in this um in this offense for a long time. So for I mean for some time now. So he knows the in, ins and outs. So I, I'm I'm very appreciative of, of uh Bobby Turner. Very And a little bit on Brock Purdy as well, because he's been the big story over here, having a guy go from being Mr. Irrelevant to making big plays week in, week out. What have you seen from him lining up alongside him in the backfield? I mean, he's definitely relevant now. I mean who who don't see that? Um, but yeah, man, I just, I always see, I always see, uh, Brock Purdy. He just, he knows the ins and outs, man. He stays here after he stays here. You know, I, I, I've seen him. I've seen, like in the summer, I see him and, you know, we would be doing the extra. And so he's prepared for this moment. What's it like for you preparing for games when you know that the postseason is, is already in, in the grasp? And yes, there are things to play for, seeding, etc. But knowing that you're approaching this game maybe in a slightly different way with, with January in mind a little bit. Come on, man. You already know, man. It's just, it's just one game at a time, man. Don't, don't worry about down the future. You got, it's all about one game at a time. 
I love that. I love that approach. I hope you can continue that approach going. And, and look, we really appreciate you taking the time out to speak with us. And good luck for this weekend. Yes, Hopefully we keep that push towards at least the two seed. And, oh, yeah. and then a big run in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. Hey, thank you. Let me ask you about the way we look at the rest of the NFL and particularly the rest of the NFC right now, because we've got a really fascinating situation coming on Christmas Eve where the Eagles face the Cowboys and, and Jalen Hurts is carrying that injury and is, is questionable right now as we record this uh, on Tuesday evening to, to whether he'll be playing in that game or not. But the Eagles look at it and they say, look, we, they would essentially have to lose out to lose the one seed. They could maybe lose two of, of three and have the Vikings win out. But with the way the Vikings have played, even with that comeback against the Colts, I have serious doubts about that. And that kind of comes to my thing as well. I, I think for the Eagles, resting Jalen Hurts against the Cowboys makes sense to me. I totally understand that the Cowboys are in the same division as them. They're looking at playoff berth. They technically can still catch them. They want to put a hurt on their division rivals. But I just think with the lead that they've got, don't risk it. And then I start to look at the 49ers squad and I start to look at the teams above us. We know now know we've got the NFC West title. It's very, very unlikely that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or whoever out of the NFC South will be able to catch us. Not quite impossible, although I think the match might now be impossible. Uh, either way, third seed is most likely. Second seed is still a possibility. You can still catch the Vikings. Do you start now to already start thinking about January when you're thinking about the carries for McCaffrey, when you're thinking about the targets for, you know, uh, Kittle or, or for Ayuk over going to say a Jawan Jennings or someone like that? Do you start to think to yourself about whether or not we should maybe be trying to keep the team healthy going through these last three games, even though you want to carry the momentum into the postseason? I think a little bit. I don't think there's a danger of going too far with that. But I think the specific one that you outlined there is McCaffrey. Um, I, I too was surprised at the level of uh, run he got on Thursday night. And I think a lot of that is just how valuable he is, not in just what he does on the ground, but in how he opens things up for the passing game, how he's always a check down, how he can win one-on-one place uh, out wide, and then how he create space for other kind of tertiary receivers like Jennings and Rayo McLeod who had to step up a little bit with, with Debo Samuel out there. So I think you have to now kind of be a little bit careful with how you use him in particular and maybe give Mason some more, some more run and maybe you want to get Jerry and Davis Price or David Coleman a bit more involved, just give him a, a few carries here and there just to kind of keep McCaffrey fresh because he, regardless of what seeds you get, and it's probably most likely to be the third seed, but he's going to be absolutely vital for this offense in the playoffs. And I imagine he'll still probably get 20 carries or so, but I think you want, he definitely needs to be scaled back from, from what he had on Thursday. They need to kind of think in specifically of him towards January and how this guy is going to potentially be the difference between us going out early and then going really, really deep into the postseason. We'll talk. Um, we'll talk about the the Washington Commanders coming up shortly as we look forward to the Christmas Eve game, nine oh five kickoff. Uh, you won't be able to hear it myself live on Talksport two uh, this Saturday evening. We'll, we'll look forward to that as well. But it, it does strike me that as you look at the rest of the season, we probably were looking down the stretch, going right home games, even the road games are against not very good teams. But actually, Washington, barring that loss to the Giants, coming in very good form. The Raiders have won four of their last five and have actually clawed their way back into very outsider playoff contention. So that may prove like a tough one on uh, on New Year's Day. The Cardinals, I maybe fear less. 
I'd love to just get two wins over the next two weeks and know that you can rest all of your starters in week 18 against a very poor Cardinals team, knowing you probably already know your playoff seeding, where you're going to play and when and everything else. Uh, just Yeah, McCaffrey, has, I think you're absolutely right, is the one that maybe I just have some 49ers injury fears that still haunt me from being one of the worst injury luck teams outside of maybe the Los Angeles Chargers, Tennessee Titans last year, I can remember in recent seasons. Let's turn our attention to this this weekend. We, before we talk Washington, let's just uh, take a little look at the rest of the NFC. That Cowboys-Eagles game, I already mentioned, you know, Jalen Hurts is one that I would certainly consider resting for, for that game. But Dallas come into it of the back-to-back of some tough performances, very nearly losing to the Texans, if not for a last-minute 98-yard Dak Prescott two-minute drill, and then losing to a, admittedly a proving Jaguars team this week, but when having a 14-point lead in the second half to lose that game in overtime. like Starting to, with their losses in the secondary particularly, look just a little bit human, Nick. Yeah, yeah, completely agree on that point. I've seen a lot of kind of the reaction to that game, particularly being focused on Dak, on Dak Prescott. And for me, that is focused in completely the wrong place. Um, <clears throat> between them, I thought Dak Prescott and Trevor Lawrence, the um, better quarterback duels of this, sort of this portion of the season, it was very impressive to watch from both of them in terms of some of the throws that they made. But, um, the Cowboys' defense, it, it created some turnovers, but it's it looks a lot more volatile now um, for me. And it's certainly a lot less reliable. And it just kept giving Jacksonville chances to get back into this game and they eventually took them. So I think for all the the chatter about Odell Beckham with the, the Cowboys and whether they need him and stuff, and so he, would, he would help if he, would, if he was fully healthy, but I'm not sure that's the case. I think the focus for Dallas has to be on how do we get his defense right because it looks like something that could really derail them in the postseason to me. And clearly, there's. Yeah, I feel like we almost don't have to say a huge amount of talent on that. We've already heard Mika Parsons giving it some of the gums ahead of this weekend, ahead of facing the uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, and telling them that they're a they're a system team. That Jalen Hurts is a system quarterback. That it doesn't matter if it's Gardner Minshew they face this weekend. It's the system that wins them games. You know, getting that needle in there now. But with Leighton Van Der Esch hurt, with Dorrance Armstrong hurt, with already the two starting cornerbacks missing and them having to play fifth-round rookie to Ron Bland, who admittedly had an interception this past weekend. But I just, yeah, I, I look at the, the way that they are, the way that they're set up in that back end, not helping their front end and, and the injuries that they've carried. And volatile is the right word. I think that they will, I think they'll get turnovers. I think that they will pressure teams, but I think they'll they'll give up points as well. And actually, regardless of, maybe Mika Parsons is right, but for the wrong reasons. Maybe this weekend, uh, Gardner Minshew could go into that situation and, and put up points on Dallas, because I think that'll end up being an absolute shootout, most likely. Yeah, um, I think the Gardner Minshew factor is probably one of the more, the more underrated reasons for resting, resting Jalen Hurts this weekend, is that this guy's played well in the league before. Um, we all remember Minshew Mania at his height, and he's, 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 he's stepped in before in backup duty and comported himself relatively well. And the Eagles still have plenty of playmakers in Miles Sanders and AJ Brown, Devontae Smith. Dallas Goddard's just been activated from IR today. Um, so they've still got plenty of playmakers, a very good offensive line, as we all know, um, kind of overseen by Jeff Stoutland, who has become the kind of league offensive line czar with what he's been able to do there in in Philadelphia. So there's no reason why they shouldn't necessarily put up points against um, against this Dallas defense with the injuries that they have. And uh, what, what a tribute to Mike Leach it could be if uh, Gardner Minshew, one of his uh, favorite proteges, could have a, have a big game this weekend. 
Love that. Absolutely love that. Uh, what did you make of the comeback for the Minnesota Vikings? Biggest comeback in NFL history from a hole they probably shouldn't have been in. And yet at the same time, with some of the officiating that we saw this past weekend, probably a game they should have won in regulation anyway. Yeah, I was on I was on the laptop for this for this game, not on the on the big screen. I was relegated to the laptop because my daughter is very into Strictly Come Dancing this year at the age of four. So I was I was a Strictly Come Dancing final. She can have the big screen and then really care too much about this game. Jeff Saturday doesn't interest me that much. And then I was delighted with the uh, the prospect of a blowout. Not now doing end end of the weekend at the uh, at the second seed, but then just an absolute. Mm, meltdown and then complete indictment of the uh, of the Colts and what they've done this season and kind of just shooting themselves in the foot repeatedly. Nothing encapsulated that more than the, the, than the greatest comeback in uh, in NFL history. Um, yeah, just just malpractice on the Colts' part. I don't. You can't not credit the Vikings, but <laughs> it's just it's, it's it's. I think I tweeted this out at the time. It's the weirdest thing that the Vikings have just pulled off the great the greatest comeback in NFL history, and nobody thinks any better of them for it. And I don't either. And there was some amazing plays in that game, particularly from Dalvin Cook and. You can't not credit them for it, but at the same time, does anybody think they're any more of a threat in the NFC? Because I certainly don't. No, I'm with you. And actually, you know, the Colts kick a field goal when they should have done uh, with not much time remaining in the fourth quarter. They probably would have won that game of football. Instead, they give up the game time touchdown and end up going and losing it right at the death of overtime. Um, the other teams in the NFC worth talking about. I mean, Giants, Commanders, Sunday night. Again, both teams playing incredibly tough. We'll talk commanders coming up shortly. But again, neither of them terrify me going into the playoffs. The Detroit Lions, however, on this 6-1 and one skid over the last seven games. Uh, I know that the New York Jets played them tight this weekend. I know the Jets had their late comeback opportunities. But the, the thing that really strikes me about the Lions in recent weeks is as much as it's been a team that's, yeah, talked about as relying on their offense and the defense not helping them out a huge amount. They've stopped the run brilliantly in the last few weeks. They've really slowed down that area of the game, and maybe they haven't faced a 49ers type run game. But yeah, and that's that's a team that you know you don't want to. You almost don't want to face the team who are coming in hot off the really great second half of the season with the no one believes in us mentality. Yeah, I think you've nailed it. That they are the team that they're the berserker in the playoffs. I think. Most of the, the top seed would probably still have enough to knock them off, but it would be a lot more uneasy than anybody would like it to be because they've, they've got that fearless, fearlessness about them as well on offense. You see Dan Campbell and Ben Johnson just draw these plays on fourth on fourth down. It's successive week now with the, the Penne Sewell uh, shot to win the game against the Vikings and then the, uh, the, the throw to Brock Wright against the Jets. Um, like you say, the defense, the run defense has definitely improved. The Jets have had injuries there, so it's an interesting one to kind of pass. Their, their run game has severely suffered um, since Brees Hall went down. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see down the stretch. Eighth lines can get in, but B, I think they still have the Packers to face. I think that might be week 18, and they've obviously got that good running game of Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, which we saw on Monday night against the Rams. So it'll be interesting to see how they, they deal with a run game that's probably more equipped to to. to take advantage of their defence, but certainly the Berserker in the playoffs, and I'll be very happy as a potential second or third seed if they, if it was the Giants and Commanders or maybe even the Giants and the Seahawks or Giants and the Packers. I just wouldn't want the, that. Dan Campbell's fearless Lions to get in there would be somebody you don't want to see in the, in the first weekend, of, uh, second weekend of January. All right, coming up, we'll be hearing uh, Larry, uh, our man Larry Kruger in the Bay uh, in Santa Clara. Uh, we'll have been in the Niners locker room ahead of this weekend's matchup. Uh, as we said, we'll hear it on TalkSport 2. We'll have plenty of reaction here on Tales from the Bay as well. Right now, San Francisco 
Francisco opening up as seven-point favourites for this home tilt. Uh, the over-under set at 39.5 points. And as I mentioned, Washington, I look at the second half of the season for them, maybe even just not the second half, but going back to prior to that, that Giants performance this past weekend, they are a team who... Quietly is maybe the wrong word for anything that Washington do because there's so much focus, obviously, on all the off the field stuff. But they win four of their, they lose four of their opening five games. They're right on the outside looking in. And since then, not only have they, what, won six out of six out of eight and six out of nine, sorry, with the tie as well, but there's big wins in there over the likes of the Eagles, over the likes of the Packers, uh, you know. That Colts victory where they weren't very impressive but came from behind. They, the, the loss was incredibly tight against the Vikings. Like It's a team who I just feel like a pretty well coached and play everyone very, very tough. Yeah, it's a, they're, they're a really interesting team in that they do a lot of the things well that, that you, the winning teams do well. They, they play good defense even without Chase Young. I'm not sure he's ever coming back at this stage. It's just looking like you might have called 2022 a write-off for him. Um, they, they, they talked about they did talk about this whole week building up to the last game that he was going to be active yeah. and then I, I turn on the game and I see him on the sideline in civvies like, what's going on yeah he's just stood on the sideline with a hoodie on and just looking largely disinterested and it's just yeah it's a very weird situation for um, I believe an ACL tear it's, it's kind of similar to the David Batiari thing with Green Bay whereas he's coming back this week he's coming back this week and he's just, it just never seems to happen They've, they've, they've certainly coped without him very well. Um, they run the ball extremely well. I think Brian Robinson's been very impressive and they've got a good tandem there with him and Antonio Gibson. And yet it's 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 still kind of tough to see them. Like You you can see the Lions causing that kind of threat in the season. I'm not sure if the, the commanders could, simply because I think, I use that word again, volatility at quarterback. I, um, Brock Purdy was compared to a Taylor Heineke when he first came into the team. But I think actually Brock Purdy might be more reliable than Taylor Heineke. Maybe I'll come to eat those words. But um, Mark Bullock, who does some very good Commander's film breakdown um, from the UK right over here, um, said, put it best, he said Taylor Heineke does, makes the hard stuff look easy and the easy stuff look really hard, um, which is just kind of that unpredictable wild card at quarterback. And I'm not sure if that's the ideal quarterback you want against against the Niners. Maybe it is. He can go off script and do some things, but this is a team that's going to take the easy stuff away anyway. So if you make the easy stuff look really hard against the Niners, that kind of looks like a recipe for disaster for me. So yeah, it's they still it's still they still come down to the quarterback for me. They've got all the they've got all the weapons they need. They've got McCormick looks is amazing. Uh, Johan Dawson's coming up great on the other wide receiver position. They can run the ball. They can play good defense. It's just they're a team that looks again. Much similar to the Colts, maybe a better version of the of the, of the Colts that still just can't get it right at the quarterback position with this revolving door. Once they do, um, if they ever do, eventually I think there'll be a threat coming in the coming years of the NFC, but it might just fall short this year for me. I think the the situation, and this could be, of course, a playoff preview when we look at the current seeding situation. Uh, this very much could be a game that we see again coming the second third weekend of January. Uh, for me, that Washington team. It's all about the good work that they do in the trenches. You mentioned it already. They run the ball well, but also they do a good job of slowing other teams down. And while the 49ers will always always hope to pound the ball and move it on the ground, and we've seen a lot of game plans this year from Kyle Shanahan where they've been willing to throw it 20, 25, 30 times in the first half 
try and build a lead and then run the ball in the second. And I do think that more explosive passing game from San Francisco will probably be the difference between these two sides. That Taylor Heineke description is so perfect because what happens is people who watch red zone or highlights and don't necessarily drill down into the games. And I'm not putting down those, those fans in any way, shape or form, but when you see those wow throws from Taylor Heineke, those moments where he puts the team on his back, he's down late in a game and he goes and he just makes one or two 30, 35 plus yard air, air yard throws that are just on a dime and jaw dropping. And you're stunned that he's pulled those off. And you think, wow, they, they've really got something in this guy. Maybe he is a long-term solution. Maybe he is somebody who you want to invest in. And then you watch him down to down and you see the number of open misses and poor mistakes and, you know, uh, the number of times where he feels pressure that's not there versus the number of times he doesn't read the pressure as it's coming at him. It just it, It's back to that roller coaster feeling of a quarterback. And I think you're right. Brock Purdy is Mr should kind of steady and he might not have that big moment in his locker that we know that 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 um uh, that we know that taylor heineke can come up with and has come up with we've not had to see him do it yet we've not really had to see him go and put the team on his back and go and win a game of football we all know that jimmy garoppolo probably doesn't have that moment in his locker certainly not anymore and certainly that we've seen in in recent years so hopefully that still comes but it's also why I don't want this game to be left tight. It's also why I don't want this game to be going into a fourth quarter with a single score and be worrying about it. I just I do think that the fundamentals for San Francisco on that side of the ball will make a difference. I just I always think Washington, like I said, like I said, play teams tough. They don't get blown out as a rule. They don't get absolutely beaten up on. They do slow teams down. They do slow the game down. They do run it well. And for all those reasons. While I'm picking a 49ers victory, I'm not kind of – this isn't – I felt really good going into the Seahawks game, even though I knew all of the tertiary stuff that came with that game. This game, I feel less good about because of not the tertiary stuff, but because of the fundamentals of football. Yeah, that's it. It was all about – I mentioned it last week, the boogeyman in Seattle, but within – with a couple of quarters, well, within after the um, the George Kittle touchdown, the the second touchdown, the boogeyman was essentially slayed. It was just some questionable calls, and Niners not think, not putting them away in the second half. I mean, I'm not going to go reference that roughing call again. She'll get me on a rant. Um, <laughs> I mean, neither. To be fair, what restraint from the pair of us to not come on here and just start kicking and throwing stuff? Maybe the fact that we've waited four or five days is a really good thing because <laughs> I could not. I, I was astonished by it at the time. I, yeah, I, I I don't get it. I, I've, I've seen it back on the tape, and you can see Bosa move to the side, which is what they say he's meant to do. And Bosa was very kind of gracious after the after the fact. He said, "Oh, it was my fault. I I I, I didn't follow the rules. I made, I made a mistake. I think he may have been just being diplomatic to save himself a fight there, because I think he the way I watched it a few times, and he did everything that you that you need to do to avoid that kind of body weight flag. He didn't really drive him into the ground and then he, he moved his body to the side. So he wasn't getting the full impact of, of his whole body on Geno Smith. So he did everything he could to prevent Geno Smith getting injured and still drew the flag. Uh, yeah, it, it baffles me that one. And I, I, I would love for that rule, the body weight rule to be um, looked at in the off season at the, the owners meetings or the competition committee, but I, I, I fear it, I fear it won't be. Um, the argument for, uh, the Niners kind of making sure this isn't close and there isn't that fear factor in the fourth quarter is probably lies with Nick Bosa again because if you saw on on Sunday night the um I forgive me I don't I can't remember the left tackle for the 
Washington Commanders by name. At, the, at this point, I don't have it with me, but the Kayvon Thibodeau absolutely feasted on him <laughs> in that game. Uh, Assuming it's the usual starting left tackle, Charles Leno. Charles Leno, that's who I'm thinking of. The yeah. former Bear, yeah. The former Bear, um, who was a decent left tackle, but had a real nightmare against, <laughs> against Kayvon Thibodeau. And Bosa could go against the right tackle, he can go against the left tackle, and he can move him around. And I fear that, not fear, I hope for, for, the, for the Niners' sake and fear for Washington that it's going to be a kind of a repeat because Bosa, while they didn't have, have monstrous sack numbers over the last couple of weeks, has just been winning pass rushes at a ridiculous rate. Um, he got a, he got the rough in the pass accord, he still had the other sack after that against Seattle, but he could have had a lot more. And it was Gino was a lot similar, was very similar to Tom Brady in that game in that he was getting the ball out very, very quickly. I think he was at 2.6 seconds this week, which is was in the top 10 quickest. He was just getting the ball out very quickly because Bosa was just mashing his left tackles. And I think that's the, the recipe for the Niners winning, uh, winning the game is that you get you get a lead, you hope you make Washington have to throw the ball, you take away the run, and then you watch Bosa and company work again against a line that's good at, good at run blocking but has weaknesses in pass protection. Uh, no, I, I do... You, you've, you've talked me into the idea that Taylor Heineke, with the pressure that this front can bring, with the confusion that they can bring by flooding that area over the, the middle as well, like they did against Tua Tunga Bailoa, yeah, that does take away, as much as Terry McLaurin offers a deep threat, that takes away the Curtis Samuel factor, who they try to use in, in a, what we can think we can now call a Debo Samuel type role of, of moving him around the formation. I think to an extent, it can take away Johan Dotson as well. So, yeah, I, you, you've got me feeling more positive. You've, you've done your job, Nicholas, and you've made me feel good going into, uh, into Saturday evening uh, as we bring you that game. Can't wait. I'm an eternal optimist, and I've got to find ways that you can't be optimistic about a team that's won seven games in a row until they they show me otherwise. So I'll continue to ride that ride that train until until proven wrong. So we're both taking the 49ers, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I think I think it'll be tighter than than I think seven points is about right for a line, but I think you're looking kind of like a ten, maybe like a ten point Niners win. I think it they'll make it will be a bit uneasy at times, but I think eventually they'll, they'll, get, they'll get a job done. Lovely stuff. Right, before we uh, let you go, let's head into the 49ers locker room. Larry Kruger has been in Santa Clara for us here on Tales from the Bay, speaking to the great and the good ahead of the Washington Commanders coming to Levi Stadium this Saturday. You know, it's, you know, we all want a better seed, but you know, at least as long as you got a chance to play off, it's all that matters. So more home games we can get, the better. But, um, you know, all you need is a shot. How important is uh, playoff seeding to you guys? Like two or three seed thoughts? Uh, I think it's pretty important. You know, if you can jump a seed and you know get an extra home game in the playoffs, I think it'll be really beneficial. Um, I know uh, the defense got some eyes on uh, Marcelino. They call him Muscle Man, so uh, he's he's one I'd be watching out for, and maybe another uh, Dre or Aziz. So uh, he's one to watch out for. Wow, linebacker factory. Yeah, That's yeah. Cool. They know how to make them. Yeah, I'm, I couldn't name somebody off the top of the head. I mean, a lot. All these guys play really hard. They practice hard. They get really good looks. Maybe Q Knight. Q Knight. Q Knight. Yeah, right, he plays like really that. hard. UCLA baby. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Um, just play ball. I mean, it's a thing. Uh, you know, they control possession of the clock a lot, and I think we're number two, so you know, we both like to have the ball. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things you got to take advantage of the ops you get. So, uh, it's part of the game, but um, you know, it's just just football, just play. Washington, uh, they lead the league in time of possession. How do you guys like go about sort of, I don't know, combating that style of play? 
We're just playing ball, man. I'm not thinking about time position, time possession while we're playing. We're just trying to score and win the game. Well, thank you very much for joining us. As always, tales from the bay here on <laughs> here with Gridiron. As I say that, Nicholas McGee has just thrown on an absolutely sensational San Francisco 49ers Santa hat. Where on earth did you get that from, and why don't I already have one? I believe this was a purchase from my first trip out to the bay. Um with my dad in 2013 um, to see Candlestick before it was unceremoniously uh, knocked down. Um, yeah, and I, I believe I, I took a lot of lot of money and made sure I, I, I spent as much as I could on various different items of uh, 49ers merchandise that only come out on a rotation rotational basis. Sensational. I am a huge, huge fan of that. At this point, I'm not at home now. I did bring out the Christmas jumper last week, but uh, we'll, get, we'll get more ridiculous 49ers merch on the show in the not-too-distant, I promise you. Nicholas, excellent work as always. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to the listeners and the viewers for joining us, to Larry and Ryan out in the Bay Area, to the brilliant Michael McQuaid who puts this whole thing together for us every week as well. We wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Hopefully your Christmas morning is a victory Christmas morning after a 49ers win 